Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Kings on the Beach out of Shalot. We're going to be featuring Captain Trip Hooks of Captain Hook Outdoors out of the Ocean Isle area. We're going to be talking about time of year, areas to fish, baits to use, rigging, as well as techniques. A lot to cover. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community of North Carolina since 2003, bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools. And here in our latest and greatest effort, the podcast series, where we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast, asking them to share with us their thoughts, their insights on how to catch more fish more often. In this endeavor, every podcast episode, I'm joined by my podcast partner, Billy Thorpe, of Thorpe Creative. Billy, here we are, another podcast to return guest, Trip Hooks. I'm excited. Yeah, man, I'm excited. Trip is always uh, a good time, always fun, super knowledgeable, and a lot of deep roots in fishing. So I'm excited for you to extract all that knowledge out for our podcast audience. So it's going to be a good time, man. going to be good. Yeah, man, I'm going to see what I can. I'll see what I can get out of Trip, man. Yeah, see, I think, yeah, uh, I think this will be good. It's, the, it's that time of year, man. King's on the beach. It's Lots gonna, of people like catching kings on the beach. Going to be a good one, man. Well, we appreciate everybody watching, listening, commenting on our YouTube. Uh, Gary, some people said that we were a little long-winded, so we're, we'll just keep at it. We'll just do what we do because we're having fun. <laughs> and, uh, but we do want to shout out our sponsors and give them plenty of time because they do support the show and make it possible. Uh, so we want to make sure we do spend quality time, you know, talking about SRD20, talking about uh, Marine Warehouse Center. And so I want to go ahead and do that right now. Actually, I want to talk about SRD20, Gary. I got I got a couple products here. Um, so the new company oh, yeah. reached out to us. And so I'm holding a graphene spray protectant right here that they sent over. And then also they have sent some of the wash and wax over as well. So if you need some uh, cleaning products to clean your boat or your car, your canoe, your kayak, all that kind of fun stuff. Give these guys, uh, give these guys a shot, man. I think, you know, they're super great to work with and, um, and Stuart and his team of, you know, working hard to get the best cleaning products out there. So it says it shouldn't be, yeah, man, I would say think of, think of graphene spray as a cheaper, quicker, longer lasting alternative to wax. And think of that waterless soap or whatever it is as like, Hey, I just pulled the boat out of the water. I'm not near a hose, but this is a prime time to wash it clean before I drive home, before anything dries. I would say, in a nutshell, those are the two best uses of those products you just held up. Absolutely. So check out, check those guys out, srd20.com, and you can uh, go there and see a bunch of bunch of different products. But these are the couple that they've sent us, and we're working on something special, collaboration with them as well. So stay tuned for that. And now for our longest-running sponsor, Marine Warehouse Center. Get a quick message from them, and we'll be right back. At Marine Warehouse, we have everything from trailer, trailer parts, engines, engine parts, new boats, boat parts, a full store. We have a service department. We are your one-stop shop for marine equipment and hardware. We offer a wide variety of parts and accessories for all your marine needs. The best part about working at Marine Warehouse Center is to help customers really get the most out of their coastal lifestyle and share our love for the water. At Marine Warehouse, we're here to get you out on the water because of our love for the water. We like being out there and we want you out there with us. Boom. There you go, Gary. That's your crew right there, man, keeping you on the water all year. 
Uh, yeah, man. And like I say, they're not just selling to the boating and fishing community. They're part of, they fished in the Fisherman's Post tournament trail all season long. They started very slow, but man, then the Marine Warehouse team came on strong at the end, qualified easily for the championship, the one day championship. And while they found a couple of fish on the championship day, they didn't quite get in the, the top spot. Actually, the top couple mm -hmm. spots is all that paid. But man, I was proud that they hung in there even after a slow start and and put some quality fish in uh, to qualify for championship. Good for those guys. That's awesome, man. I guess uh, if you want to be an employee there, you got to know how to fish <laughs> to come on. That's like the biggest thing. <laughs> you want to be on, you want to be on the fishing team you do because Emmett, Emmett has high expectations for that fishing team. It is not a warm blanket. It's okay. We'll get them next time attitude. It is. We get them now. <laughs> we get them strong. You know, and and Mason knows, man, that phone will ring. If he, if the weigh-in doesn't look good, his phone <laughs> rings. He's like, oh, man, here we go. Oh, yeah. I would not want to be on that side because uh, Emmett's a wild guy, man. He He's a wild guy. Not a wild card, but a wild guy in, into all kinds of stuff. So um, one thing that we've been doing here, Gary, is trying to figure out where in the world is Emmett. So when he's not rooting his guys on at fishing tournaments and he's not selling boats and helping people get tackle stuff and get their stuff together. He goes on a bunch of adventures. And so we got a picture today. Um, but I want you to guess Gary, where in the world is Emmett? And I'm going to give you a couple. Okay. Where you, in the world is Emmett? Got it. I'm going to give you one hint. So right. Bryson Williams Hayes, also known as Verdon, was 101 years old when he did the same thing that Emmett is doing in this photo. Skydive. Dude, did you know that guy? He, no. Yeah, that's what it <laughs> I is. I don't know. You got it, dude. Check him out. There's Emmett skydiving. I imagine next he'll be Rocky Mountain climbing. But I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> so anyway. um, no, someone in the office was talking about skydiving today. So it was on the, is, I have no idea who that 101 guy is, I man. It was just mentioned in the office today. So dude, that's it, it came off the lips. Funny, dude. That's fine. You know what? I was like, I really searched. Oh, I'm like, Gary's never going to get this. He's not going to know who this old dude is. <laughs> but anyway, that guy was 101 oldest skydiver in the world. And uh, Emmett's, I'm sure Emmett will be there when he's 101 as well. Jumping out of those planes. Yeah. We'll see if he can break the record. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, dude, I do want to give you a chance, Gary, to mention our fishing reports. Uh, Trip is a part of those as well, so it's always fun to to have him on there. But I'll pass it over to you and let you tell people about that. Yeah, quickly, weekly fishing reports delivered online in a video audio format. Um, go to Fisherman'sPost.com for more information. You can go there to sign up. You can go there to access, talking to captains from up and down the coast. And again, if you if you want more timely information, you want to present it in an organized way, professional delivery, you know, we ask some follow-up questions. We also ask the captain, each captain, each of the 11 captains, what's their weekend or best play for their best piece of advice for the upcoming weekend. Um, then this is what you want to check out. Again, you can check it out. If it's not for you, you can always unsubscribe. Give it a check. Again, fishermanspost.com, weekly fishing report. Awesome, man. And speaking of fish, if you want to catch better ones like this guy in this picture, then you got to go sign up for those weekly reports. We got Sam Ream of Wilmington with a king mackerel that fell for a pogey while fishing off Oak Island Pier. Good looking fish. Really appreciate him sending that in. And be sure to send in your photos as well. Fisherman's Post is publishing those in a lot of different places, so send them in. Um, 
as you catch fish, take pictures of yourself with them. You know, you can hold them up too, like hold yeah. them real close to the camera. <laughs> no, we never <laughs> complain about big. too many fish photos. <laughs> never, never. Um, and uh, so as I transition out to bring trip to the show, Billy, remember billy's best takeaway at my conclusion of talking with trip hooks i'm excited man i appreciate it and i'll be back with the best takeaway all right well then this is the time where i introduce our guest i introduce our feature and i'm talking about captain trip hooks of captain hook outdoors out of the ocean isle area welcome to the show trip looking forward to talking to you about kings on the beach out of shalot absolutely i appreciate it happy to be here well, good, man. You've been on the show, so you know the deal. There's two questions to do before we get to the main event, and those two questions begin with question number one. You tell me you're ready. I got question number two. I mean, one. <laughs> I'm ready. Why should we listen to anything you have to say about a king mackerel? I guess I will uh, give you the same answer anybody would. I feel like I've caught a lot of them, and I feel like I'm decently good at it. Um, another thing is, you know, especially this time of year, we get a lot of north wind and they're very easy to access. It's a, it's a very good thing for people with smaller boats to be able to catch bigger fish. So, All right. That is more than acceptable for question number one. When you're ready for question number two, a non-fishing related question, you let me know. I'm ready. All right. I hope you are because I'm actually pretty proud of this one. As you I've mentioned to you, Trip Hooks, you might be a marriage away from selling supplemental life insurance. So I have an insurance question for you. I want you to tell me what is the mascot for the following insurance companies? Geico's mascot is what? Lizard. Aflac's <laughs> a mascot is what? A duck. And then finally, Liberty Mutual. This is a tough one. Liberty Mutual's mascot is. Isn't it the Statue of Liberty? That... Well, that's in their commercials, but think animal. They also, instead of Liberty Mutual, think Lemu. I'm lost on that one. They have an emu. They have an animal and emu in some of their ad capacities. But anyway, you'll have plenty of time to learn insurance mascots. You have plenty of time. Let's talk about Kings on the Beach. So time of year, like, uh, let's talk about it. Is it, we're releasing this in early fall. Is that, is that, is it as simple as that? Absolutely. That's definitely the best time of year. Um, it, there's always a chance for a King mackerel to be on the beach, uh, you know, at all times of the year. Um, definitely fall is going to be the best, um, as, Whenever we get north winds for a good a bit of a good bit of time, seems like the best time to catch them on the beach, especially. Um, and like we said, most of the fish that are going to be on the beach are going to be those bigger bigger female fish. So um, fall is definitely the best. Though, I would say the end of September to the end of October until the water gets about 68, 69. Um, that's when they start to push offshore following that warmer water. But definitely the best time of year is going to be in the fall when the water gets, it drops to about 75 degrees, somewhere in there. So look for that 70 to 75 degree range to be the best. All right, man. And you say it also, so what does the north wind have to do with it? I, I guess I'm not grasping the connection there. Well, um, I feel like it pushes, I feel like it pushes the bait more towards the beach, um, which also would push the fish to the beach. Um, 
another thing is that always cools off the air temperatures. You know, you get a north wind, it usually drops the air temp a good bit, and that also drops the water temp a good bit. I feel like that pushes the fish in more than out. And you mentioned in that dialogue that it's like the bigger class of females is, I mean, of course there's kings of different sizes, but it is a primarily a bigger king bite when we're talking the fall near shore bite. Absolutely. That's every, every king mackerel tournament you see in the fall, 90% of the boats are going to be within 10 miles of the beach somewhere. Um, you know, we, I live in a very good spot being in Shalote. I feel like the Cape Fear River all the way to Myrtle Beach, Apache Pier, somewhere around there is definitely in between that area is the best our coast has to offer on the beach for these big kings. And uh, like I said, every every king, the U.S. Open is always one most of the time within 10 miles of the beach. So. All right. So is there any other time of year where you get a push of fish like does this happen on smaller scale in the spring where you have cooler temperatures that get warm and then before they get too warm is it is it in a smaller capacity or really we're talking fall and just fall um it seems like you always get a really good push of them as soon as the pogies show up in the spring so you get a quick wave of pogies usually it's going to be middle of april usually around the middle of april to the beginning of may um, right around Mother's Day is really good usually, but it's very quick. seems like it's a two, three-week stretch um, of a good push of them. And then, like I said, every now and then we'll just get scattered fish in the summertime. When Usually when the water gets really clean, um, especially on my side of the shoals here, it's usually very dirty right on the beach. But anytime it gets you know clean, green, usually we can catch some on the beach. All right, so let's transition then to like how you can help us out because where to catch fish is at the top of everyone's list when they're listening to a podcast, reading an article, or just looking for some help, some advice. I mean, most people get it. You got to find, you got to do everything right, but you got to be in the right spot before you do everything right. So you've already told us within 10 miles and you've already told us we're really focused on an area from like the Cape Fear River mouth down to Myrtle Beach. But what other insights can you give us as far as where to go to try to capitalize yeah of course um when you're on the beach i don't feel like you're looking for bottom as much as you would be offshore you're just looking for anything different um piers are always a good place to start a lot of people have the philosophy that the bait swims around the pier and pushes it off the end so that's why you know a lot of times you'll see a lot of king mackerel boats fishing you know 100 yards off the end of a pier somewhere around there um that's always a good place to start Bait balls, anytime you see a lot of pogies in one area, it's never a bad idea to catch your bait and throw a few lines out and give it a minute. Um, inlets are always a great place to start. There's Shalot Inlet, Lockwood Inlet, and of course the Cape Fear River is always, always great for kings. Um, I tend to think I have the most luck around the inlets on a fallen tide. Um, it usually every inlet will push a tide line out um, the first couple hours of the fall all the way through the through the end of the fall and that tide line is always a great place to fish um, i usually like to troll the clean side of the tide line mostly um seems like most of the time when you're fishing the tide lines you're either going to catch a big fish or a shark but it's a very good place to find a big king mackerel all right so that was a good list i'm going to go back through it a little bit just with some follow-up so we finished by talking about inlets so you like the fallen tide the best you like the clean side of the tide line the best 
And I'm guessing it doesn't matter much to you. Have you seen numbers like trolling with the falling tide versus trolling against the falling tide? Does that make any difference? I don't think so. Um, you just always have to watch your speed, of course, when you're, and this will also go to fish and live bait versus dead bait, but um, fish and live bait, you know, you, you can't, can't pull them too fast. You're going to drown them or spin them up top. So of course, when you're going against the current, you got to watch your bait. You're going to be going a lot slower than you will be going with the current. But I usually try to keep my speed between one and two miles an hour pulling live bait. Um, and pulling dead bait, I usually try to keep it between two and a half and three and a half. So. And you're going to stay in the clean water. If, if you're not getting a bite, do you say we might as well try the dirty water or that's really not a winning proposition? Always, always try the different, different stuff. You know, you fish and they don't have fences. So there's, you, you never know for sure. Um, a lot of times too, you know, people think that dirty water, they can't see your stuff as good. A lot of times in the clean water, they can, they can see your bait, your wire, your leader, all that stuff a little bit better. So it's never a bad thing to try it, but I just feel like fishing is usually better in the clean water. Um, another you... on the inlets, it's, you know, everybody knows Shalote Ledge. There's a giant ledge off Shalote Inlet, Lockwood Ledge, the Boss Hog Rock. There's a lot of, a lot of little ledges off these inlets here. And those are always great places to start. Um, they they tend to hold bait very well too. So, well, man, you kind of anticipated my next question. I was going to say, hey, you listed the three top inlets. Is there any specific insights related to any one of the three? And so you you basically said it. So out of Shalote, you got the Shalote Ledge is a a place that you don't want to troll out of the inlet and not target. What did you say it was out of Little River? Uh, out of Lockwood is a good one. Um, it's the Boss Hog Lockwood Ledge is what they call it. But it's it's really the same situation as Shalote. There's some little ledges out there, little pieces of bottom that just always hold a lot of bait and they always hold a lot of fish. It's another one of the going back to tournaments. You know, any King Mackerel tournament in the fall, you go to either one of those places. There's going to be piles of boats at both of them. What about Cape Fear? Anything uh, of note that you know? I mean, I'm not trying to ask secrets or anything, but anything that most people know about? This is definitely no no secrets up there for sure. You know, you got Lighthouse Rock. It's always a, always a great place to go. And then the, the River Channel always, always produces a big fish. You know, the U.S. Open will be one there nine times out of ten. Um, the tide line in the Cape Fear seems to be seems to be the best one out of all the inlets around here. Uh, between the five and six can in the, in the channel there is usually the best place to go. And is there a is there a, a limit in your mind with how close you actually get to the actual lim uh, to the inlet, like right up against it, right up to it, or I mean, I'm just trying to figure out the extent of which we're going to cover this. Absolutely not. I think I think in the fall, especially um, when, like I said, when that water gets a little colder, we catch fish a lot of times right outside the breakers in eight, ten foot of water. Um, a good good number to targets 25 to 30 foot i feel like but there definitely could be shallower could be a little deeper but i would say there's there's no limit as to how shallow they can get now so that i'm going to use this as a segue into talking about the next sort of scenario you, you talked about and that scenario was um bait pods you know balls of pogies so if we're going to start looking for those or if we're seeing them ideally you want to see them in 25 to 30 feet of water 
or a little deeper? Is that what I'm sort of gleaning from what that last comment? Um, yeah, usually there'll be that time of year. There'll be shallow too. The any, anywhere you see a lot of pogies together is usually a good place. You know, if you see one little bait ball there, you know, there might be a fish or two there, but those areas, you just see an acre of them. I don't think it really matters if they're in 15 foot or in 30. Um, as long as there's bait there, there's going to be fish there. So the only thing I was saying about 30 foot is, there's always a, you know, there's always going to be some type of bait on the bottom in the fall that time of year. So that's a good place to start if you don't see any bait. If you do see pogies, I would definitely fish around those more than just picking a random spot in 30 foot. So, so when, do you ever go out and say, hey, let's go and look for pods of pogies? Or is that something that when you're executing other plans, if you see those pods, that's when you switch to target them? Well, yeah, I always, I always feel like every, every tournament, every charter, anything, as soon as we catch bait in the fall, we're looking for pogies for the bait. I'll always throw out three lines and troll around the pogies around the bait school for 20, 30 minutes. And, you know, if they're there, great. If they're not, move on. But I always, always find them first and target that for a minute. Absolutely. All right. Now, as far as peers go, I mean, certainly we can grasp that. So remind us, what is the etiquette with how close you can get to a pier and be cool? I'd say about two, three hundred yards is definitely the the where you want to be. They'll uh, they definitely will get upset with you up there, and absolutely, you got to respect them. Just like they they only have one spot they can go to, so got to respect everybody doing it for sure. All right, so piers, bait balls, and inlets are there. Are you spending any time with nearshore bite, just targeting, you know, known live bottom wrecks, anything along those lines that isn't associated with inlet pogies or piers? Yeah, absolutely. There's always fish on the nearshore reefs as well. Um, Yopon Reef off of Oak Island, you know, three mile off of Ocean Isle, the AR-460. Cottle Reef off Little River, there's always, always going to be fish there too. Pretty much anywhere in the fall within, you know, within eight, 10 miles of the beach, there's going to be fish. If you see anything different, it's, that's what you want to target. But I absolutely would, you know, catch bait and go target the three miles out of each inlet, anything like that. So what type of bottom is the most attractive for that fall nearshore bite? Is it, is it a wreck? Is it live bottom? Is it ledges? Like, again, like I've, any fish can be caught anywhere on any given day, but if you look at trends or you look at patterns, have you noticed what might be more productive more often? Um, yeah, I definitely think ledges and uh, live bottom are the best way to go rather than tight little wrecks. I feel like, I feel like king mackerel move a lot. I don't think a lot of fish stay around a tight area like a wreck. I would rather have, you know, a couple miles long of live bottom than somewhere it's super tight, like a tiny wreck. You have to make a really tight circle over. Um, a lot of times too, there's going to be kudas and stuff like that. That'll eat you up all over the wrecks. So I, I try to avoid those if possible and just fish more live bottom ledges, bait pods, all that stuff. All right. Let's talk about, um, your next talking point was bait, man. Let's talk about baits to use. And, uh, you know, in our conversation, you've already talked about live bait and dead bait. So let's let's start with live before we go to date to dead bait. Absolutely, um, I, I definitely everybody always knows pogies or pogies are the best way to go, um, especially 
especially if you can catch them. It's I know a lot of people don't have access or you know don't ha know how to throw a cast net or something like that. But if you if you can catch pogies, that's definitely the the best thing to use. Um, live bluefish are also very good, especially for targeting a bigger fish. You know, bigger the bait, the bigger the fish for sure. But I try to I try to stick with pogies and bluefish on the beach for sure. All right, ideal size of pogey for you, and we're talking big kings. We're looking for bigger kings, not just numbers. What What's the size that gets you most excited? As big as you can get them. I love seeing those you know, 12, 13-inch giant ones um, is, is as big as possible. I do like fishing you know, a double pogey rig with, with some smaller 8, 9-inch baits, but I'd, I'd definitely rather have the big ones for the bigger fish for sure. Bluefish, I would say the magic number is probably the pound and a half to two pound uh, bluefish. I just feel like, you know, a, of course, a 40 pound king mackerel will eat a four pound bluefish. It's just a lot harder to get a hook in the fish with that big of a bait. All right. And then what would be too small of a pogey on the bottom side? What would it be like? No, that's that's flounder red drum bait. I'd say I'd say about six inches, six, seven inches is about about as small as you want to go kingfish. But then again, there's a lot of times that all we can find are, you know, those small five-inch baits on the beach. And when that happens, we just put two on the hook, you know, on your on your two-hook king mackerel rig instead of hooking one and tail – or instead of hooking one in the nose and a trailer, I just put two, two through the nose on each hook and let them roll. When you are uh, – when you're catching pogies in the fall for purposes of king mackerel fishing – are you catching most of them outside the inlet or most of them inside the inlet? Yeah, most of them are outside the inlet for sure. So that's that's also why those why those fish are there. When there's usually pogies up and down the beach that time of year, super thick everywhere you look. Usually, so that's that's when you want to be fishing as well. All right, and my so then I got a kind of a, a bluefish question. So if you and I were fishing the U.S. Open, and your assignment the day before was to get a bunch of bluefish. I mean, are you doing the bluefish the day before? Are you trying to do the bluefish the morning of? And then how how would you go about putting some bluefish in the live well for the purposes of king mackerel fishing? Definitely the day before to multiple days before. A lot of people fishing a tournament will spend, you know, multiple days trying to get bluefish pinned up, but I would just go right outside the inlets anytime you have some free time. Bluefish are really hardy. They live very well in the pen, so we can usually keep them alive for up to, you know, seven, eight days at a time at least. So anytime you can get out there and troll some Christmas tree rigs or Clark spoons and catch some bluefish, they usually will stay alive if you've got a pen to put them in. All right, let's switch over to dead bait, man. What are your dead bait options, at least attractive uh, options when it comes to fall king mackerel fishing? Yeah, cigar minnows are definitely, you know, the most popular dead bait to pull. Um, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people forget about the ballyhoo. Ballyhoo is a great bait as well, especially because you can pull a little bit bigger of a dead bait. Um, a ribbon fish is one of one of my favorite baits for a big king mackerel. Um, the only thing about, like I was saying earlier, how I usually pull dead baits, you know, that two and a half to three mile an hour range, um, I would pull a ribbon fish just in the middle of my spread with the pogies and bluefish. I usually pull those really slow and just let them flutter behind the boat dead. The pogies and bluefish you would let flutter behind the boat dead when you're pulling a ribbon fish? 
No, I was saying, you know, while you're pulling your live pogies and live bluefish, I'll usually okay. have a ribbon fish spread maybe in the prop wash or on the downrigger. Just, I feel like even if the fish doesn't eat the ribbon fish, that long flash might draw them in to draw them to bite the pogie or bite the bluefish. Okay, now I follow. So you're saying of all the dead bait options, if you're going to put out a dead bait while you're trolling, while you're slow trolling live bait, the ribbon fish yeah. wins handily over top of ballyhoo or cigar minnow. Absolutely. I mean, it, and it's one of those things, you know, sometimes you can put out a cigar minnow spinning in a complete circle like that, and a 40-pounder will come air it out. You know, it, a lot of times it doesn't matter, yes, but I do feel like there's better ways to target them rather than, you know, just getting lucky um which everybody needs a little luck every now and then right right everyone needs a little luck every now and then so talk to me about rigging um you can take the lead on this you know uh what are you going to show i know you brought some materials what are you going to show me just a standard king mackerel rig on the captain hook outdoors yeah absolutely i can show you a, a a standard uh live bait rig and then a dead bait rig as well um so i got here it's just some 40 pound seven strand that's that's my go-to Hard wire works just as good. Um, I usually try to beef it up. To, I think it's 58 pound when I'm using hard wire. You definitely have a better chance of getting, you know, bit off on hard wire than you do seven strand, especially charter fishing. You know, when I'm trying to catch multiple fish on the same rig, I'm definitely going to pull seven strand instead of hard wire. Now, the best way to tie this, everybody has their own ways, but I pull out about 20, 24 inches or so. Cut me a piece off of it. And then for hooks, I'm always, I've always been a number four VMC treble. Um, going to hook sizes, it all depends on the size of your bait. So, um, you know, when I'm fishing six, seven inch baits, I'll use a number six treble instead of a number four. And then once they're that 10 to 12 inch range, I'm using number fours. I usually don't drop down to, or I usually don't go up to number twos until, until I start fishing with blue fish. I try to stick with, try to stick with two or sixes and fours in the pogies. So what you're going to do is take whichever hook you're using. This is a number four VMC, uh, 4X strong here. You run it through the eye right there. And then I usually get, or get enough to where it goes even with the bottom of the hook, just like that. And then you're going to put it down on the flat side of the treble. So like this right here. Can y'all see that? Kind of. But keep moving yeah, forward. All right. All right. Yeah. So then you just go with a snell after that. So you're going to take it like this, roll it right around the top. I usually go five, six times. Just like that. You stick it right back through. Pull that tight. You got that right there. So that that's going to be your trailer hook in, um, in your pogey rig. And I just same thing, grab another one and same thing. I run it straight down the, uh, down the flat side of the, uh, of the hook here. And then the amount of, the amount of space you have between your hooks here, same thing depends on the size of the bait, um, for a, you know, we'll go in the middle, say like an eight, nine inch bait. I'd probably put four or five inches between it. Just so you want to be able to hook your back hook in about the middle of the bait, um, the middle to right behind the middle of him. And same thing, just wrap it around five, six times again there. 
back through. Wire kinked up on me there. Let me cut that real quick. <laughs> Promise I've done this before. <laughs> so go. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you while you're redoing that one. So I guess what you no, got you're... is when you head out, you don't know what size pogies you're gonna necessarily get that day. You got several different rigs yeah. of several different lengths and Ab hook sizes on the boat, just depending on what you put in the live well. Yep, absolutely. I always have different different size hooks, different size, you know, different size gaps between them. It's depending on what you're gonna have for the day. So always be prepared for anything. And then after that, I go to a small of a swivel as you can find, and this is just gonna be a a naked pogey rig. A lot of people love skirts. You know, those these green beads work very well on the rig as well. That's a that's a top secret. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> but uh. I've always been more of a naked fan myself. So. Then with the swivel, I just do a figure eight knot. So you got it just like that. Take it over, right back through, pull it tight. Then that's your rig done there. And there's your naked live bait rig ready to go just like that. All right. So that was a little challenging to see. If someone watching this podcast or, or even listening to this podcast wanted to follow up on your notes and they were to go to YouTube, what would they search? They would search naked uh, king rigs. Yeah, how to tie a live bait king macro rig. I'm sure it'll come up. And then that was with seven strand wire. So you with seven strand tie, wire. Yeah, you tie it a lot different with hard wire. So that's a seven strand there. And if you're, you said seven strand when you're chartering and you're playing numbers and you want life out of a rig what if you're tournament fishing i usually use hard wire in tournaments um i feel like it's harder to see and i feel like you do get more more bigger bites on it um but like i said it's one of those things where you catch one fish it kinks the wire just a little bit and you basically have to switch rigs every fish okay all right this, this so what we're going to do now you're going to dead bait rig us yeah yeah we can do that for sure so the only difference is the same thing as the live bait rig here except for the front i use a heavy jig head so you know this is a one ounce head here and this is just to keep that bait from spinning so you're just going to tie the same exact rig you did here except instead of this top nose hook you're going to put a jig head and i do run skirts um on the dead bait rigs uh most of the time just trying to hide that big fat jig head i feel like feel like that's your best best rig for a dead bait, especially a cigar minnow. There are a lot of pre-tied rigs too for dead baits, um, such as those Macahoos, um, Blue Water Candy makes a lot of good ones. So there's a there's a lot more options of buying dead bait rigs than tying them. So. Okay, so let's do this, man. We've talked about when, we've talked about where, and you know now we've talked about what. You've already touched a little bit on how, but let's go into that, man. So we are now near shore, you know, we're off the beach fishing for kings. And again, the beauty of this is you don't need a big boat. So that's what I want you to imagine, man. We're not in a big go fast boat with quads. We're in a, you know, relatively modest center console. So what would you suggest be the spread once we get out there? And I mean, let's do live bait first. 
Yep. So, um, also I feel like picking your days is a big thing as well with this, you know, I feel like the fish bite on the beach a lot better when it's calm, not much wind. So that does play into advantage in a small boat as well. But my spread, if, if I had my choice would definitely be, I usually would run a naked pogey long and naked pogey, uh, medium, both, both on top and then a double pogey rig in the prop wash. And I usually don't pull a downrigger on the beach. I feel like if you're in less than 40 foot of water, that fish can see it from the bottom to the top. I think it's just something else to have to get out of the way. Okay. So long, medium, and then prop wash, and then specifically the double pogey rig and the, and the prop wash. Yes. Yeah. I like the double pogey and, and the prop wash because you can see it, you know, if you put it, if you put it on the long line, a lot of times that double is going to tangle up on itself. One's going to come off or a lot of times you'll get a bite on it and not even see it. And one bait will be gone or one bait's cut in half. So I like to keep it close enough. You can keep your eye on it all the time. And then you've mentioned it already, but remind us here in this section about the how, what's your, what's your optimum speed for live bait trolling? Uh, one to two miles an hour, the slower, the better for sure. Just always keep an eye on your on your spread. Um, you know, always watching if if your pogies mouse are open while they're swimming, you're, you're going too fast. Sometimes when you're going against the current, you got to slow down to half a mile an hour. And then you know, once you get going against the wind, if it's blowing really hard, you got to put two in gear, and you're still barely moving at all. But those baits look perfect. So, and then sometimes going with the wind, if it's blowing 20 knots, you're doing two miles an hour, but your baits are swimming beautifully behind the boat. So. It's all, all based on conditions for sure. Just always keep your eye on your bait and make sure it looks good. That's why it's very imperative to keep one close enough to see it too. You can basically tell, you know, if this one looks good right behind the boat, then my long line's got to look good too. So. If you were to incorporate a bluefish in the live bait spread, would that go in the prop wash or would you put that somewhere else? I always, um, I usually only fish bluefish if I'm, tournament fishing and you know trying to get that one big bite but it's always on the on the long line for me on the, on the as far back as you as you can stand it and then one other question i'm sorry if i'm asking dumb questions would be man are you trolling in like a straight line like the tide line are you trolling in like a straight line out and a straight line back or are you moving you're changing it up or anything do you is there any strategy involved in your trolling line Absolutely. Um, when you're fishing something like a tide line or a bait pod, um, or well, a tide line to start with, you're going to want to run straight down the tide line to always stay, you know, always stay as close to it as you can. Um, I wouldn't, I usually don't try to zigzag or anything like that on a tide line. But if you do find an area such as a ledge or a little piece of live bottom that's, um, you know, you find one little spot that's holding fish, a lot of times I'll drop down to two lines just so you can turn very sharp. You know, if you're pulling four lines and try to cut a real tight circle, you're going to tangle them up about every time. So if I, if I end up finding a real small school of fish on a little ledge or something, I'll do like you were saying, cut a tight circle and just drop down either one or two lines, depending on how good the fish are biting. Okay. Now let's switch it to dead bait, man. What's a, what's a standard dead bait spread? Um, I usually just pull just like, um, just those rigs I was telling you about the dead bait rigs. I'll pull just a long, a medium and a short same way. Um, I pull, usually pull three at a time if I'm on the beach and if I'm any deeper than 40 foot, I'll put a down rigger out as well. So, you know, three up top, one, one down low. 
And when, All right, when now let's it, go. Oh, go ahead, finish, man. Down, I usually pull it halfway to the bottom. So if you're in 40 foot, put it 20 foot down. You know, if you were in 50 or 60 foot, put it 25, 30 foot down. All right, now let's uh, let's say we've got a bait. We've got a bite. I'm sorry. So we've got a we've got some drag pulling going. Are you continuing the same spread? I mean, the speed. Are you keeping the lines in? When do you say? All right, let's pull it in and just focus on this fish. When do you say, hey, let's see if we can pick up a second fish? Every situation is different for sure, um, depending on which way the fish runs and all that stuff. But the best way, the best way I've found to do it, especially especially when you're tournament fishing, you have to focus or even, even just fun fishing that time of year, you're going to catch big fish off the beach. Um, the best thing to do is always focus on the one you got. You know, don't worry about more than you can handle. But I like to, I usually reel everything in after we get a bite, get the fish to the bow where you can chase it and then get turned. So like you're going straight to him and it depends on how many people you have on the boat. You know, if you have a driver and an angler on the bow fighting the fish and you have another guy on the boat, once you get turned and you're going towards that fish, the third guy could very easily throw one more line out the back and just man it, you know, hold it in his hand the whole time. And then if the driver has to do something, drastically there's somebody on that rod to reel it in or clear it anything in that situation all right and then we're going to jump to the king is within reach give us some insight on what you want to do with the gaff and what you definitely don't want to do when it comes time to gaff yeah i've always said don't take stupid shots so you know fish come up green a lot of times and you know try to take a shot that's too far and it's I always wait until you're sure you got him. You always want to try to hit the fish right behind the head if possible. Um, the goal is to get the gaff all the way through him about two inches uh, below the top of his back. Um, and definitely be easy with him at the boat. I've always, you always want to just pull up real slow, real down. Don't put a ton of drag on him, especially at the boat. If they want to make another run, you just got to let them do it. Yeah, definitely can't get impatient with kings. That's a, that's a big thing. You gotta got to take your time with them. Man, I think we're, now that we've got the successful gaff shot and we got a king in the boat, I think we're at the natural end of this podcast. However, I mean, I know you got a lot of knowledge. I know you got a lot of experience. We moved, you know, pretty quickly to cover a lot, a lot of info. What did we not cover, man? What is some stuff that you've sort of gleaned through the years, King Mackerel Fishing, that you could help the learning curve out of, of those who are watching or those who are listening? yeah um don't overthink it is definitely a big thing you know a lot of times uh we you know think you have to go to this one certain spot you know and be there at this exact certain time and that is true for a lot of things and a lot of places but um, on the beach fishing in the fall there could be a fish anywhere it's you know a lot of times you'll ride by somebody hooked up just in the middle of nowhere and 25 foot of water it's just scattered fish up and down the beach i feel like these fish are migrating down the beach so they're moving up and down constantly moving constantly looking for stuff so definitely don't overthink it that's a very very big thing um all of us especially guys we tend to overthink everything because we've got a certain amount of time to put everybody on something and you get get very antsy but that uh that's a that's a big thing i need to work on for sure all right man hey uh Trip Hooks and Captain Hook Outdoors is more than nearshore king fishing. Give us a quick rundown of what you're targeting in spring, summer, fall. Uh, 
uh, king wise or just anything? Guide wise, Captain Hook Outdoors. Um, spring, we're going to be fishing mostly uh, redfish. We're getting um, mostly the 15 to 30 inches, you know, the slot fish. Uh, trout bite very good in the spring. March and April is a great time of year for, for this area to get the real big trout. Um, five, six, seven, eight pounders happen quite a bit on the boat with me that time of year. Um, the flounder biting, of course, but they are out of season at the time, but still a good time to catch. Black drum um, are also great in the spring. Um, summertime, we move into the into the red fishing mostly. Black drum, a few scattered trout. Summer is definitely the toughest time of year for the area here, but we do do catch fish quite a good bit. Um, and in the fall, we move into the big bull drum, uh, mostly in mid September to October, and of course the of course the big king mackerel on the beach as well in the fall. So we got we always got something going on. That's for sure. It's a it's a great area, and we have a great fishery here here in this area. Well, Cap well, Captain Tripp, man, I've enjoyed this conversation. I've enjoyed learning more about Nearshore Kings. I think, it, again, it's one of the cooler things of our fall season. It's very accessible for, again, for the smaller boat and, and access easy to do, man. I appreciate you taking time. I appreciate you sharing with what you've learned. I know tournament king mackerel fishing can be highly uber competitive, and some people don't want to share anything. And so we appreciate that you were willing to, you know, talk to us for 30 or so minutes. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Thank you all. All right, Trip. Thanks again. All right. All right, Gary. Good good episode, man. A, lot, a ton of information. Ton yeah, of man, information. I thought we moved quick. Like, I mean, yeah. we could have talked slower and filled up more time, but man, I think he was every answer was on point, like no fluff and yeah. and actionable information i guess that's how i'd describe it everything just about everything he shared was actionable information yeah somebody's going to listen to that on the way to the boat and uh and be ready to go by the time they get there so um man i thought of course you know i don't do this type of fishing um on on my boat that i don't have or anyone else's boat really so i thought all of it was awesome however i did think that it was pretty interesting that he was talking about putting a ribbon fish in the prop wash while having other fish, you know, outside of that. I thought that was pretty cool strategy. Um, and then one thing he said, what, not, not even about the fish hitting it, but was like even just to cause some commotion uh, from that ribbon fish to, to draw attention, which I, I was like, okay, that's a pretty cool strategy. I don't know if that's common or not, but that's what stood out to me. So, no, I mean, I, I'm, he's probably not the only one, but I don't think it's commonplace. And I thought that was one of the cool things he did share too, man. I mean, it's almost like a natural teaser, you know, yeah. borrowing that technique from the offshore boats. And it, it plays out in my mind, it seems logic based to me. And, you know, why not try something like that? You know, put another line out and just try to cause yeah. a commotion, get catch an eye and then catch a king. Give them that charcuterie board, baby. Give them everything they need. Put it out there. Give them all the all the fast foods. But well, man, I appreciate it, Gary. It was such a great episode. I want to say thank you to our sponsors of this episode, Marine Warehouse Center and also SRD20. Um, so go buy a boat at Marine Warehouse Center and then get all the goods to clean it up there at srd20.com. And uh, remember, Marine Warehouse Center will ship all over the world as well. So check those guys out. But I think that's it, Gary. Anything else? No, man. It's been fun talking fishing and, you know, fall is a special time on the North Carolina coast. I, if you're not getting excited about fall fishing, then I'm not sure what gets you excited when it comes to fishing. <laughs> 
That's right. All right, we'll go out there, catch a fish, and send in the photos, and we'll uh, put them here on the podcast or somewhere else in the Fish Post world. So appreciate it, Gary. We'll see you in the next one, man. Fisherman.